Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. This episode is sponsored by Ironlack.com, premium art supplies made by artists for artists. Enter the code BENCHTALK at ironlack.com for 20% off your first order. This week I'm sitting down with New York-based artist Mark Chu. How you going, Mark? I'm well. It's good to be in Melbourne. Yeah? Thanks for uh, trekking out to the studio all the way from New York. Yeah, um, this is actually the it's only the second time I've been to an artist studio. Um, and it's very refreshing because... Usually in New York, I'm just by myself, and I'm in a studio where there's um, many, many turtles. Um, and while reptile company is one thing, um, it's good to talk to some artists. Yeah. yeah. So what's your um, setup in New York? Um, it's a rental studio um, where you share space, and um, the guy who owns it has a rule where you're not allowed to talk, um, which is kind of a good thing because it means... Um, not too busy trying to impress people with cracking jokes and stuff, um, but it can be a bit lonely sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it open plan, I take it? Uh, it's open plan. There's a couple of different rooms, um, but because um, it's, it's around Chinatown and because it's so cramped up there, um, there's just not that much space, and I think um, he tries to keep it so that um, it's only people who are really focused on what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's not too bad. I know I've been uh, caught in a lot of conversations and lost, lost a lot of time in the studio. But I guess balance is good. You want to be human still. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's hard to know what being human is in New York because, um, like, I'm on the schedule that my girlfriend's on, and she goes to work at nine to five. And um, it's kind of good having that schedule where you get everything done in the daytime, and um, then I'll go home and cook usually, um, and try not to go out too much. Um, but then sometimes it is like, well. You feel like, you know, just when you're going to bed at like 11, all those creative juices are kind of flowing a bit more and if you're having a bit more, um, you're having ideas that are more emotional. I feel like when I'm in the morning, it's um, super mechanical and I can kind of just get things done, organise things, do scheduling. But then later on, <coughs> I'm usually having these more kind of dramatic thoughts and sometimes that's where good art stuff happens. Um, and by that stage, I'm about to go off to bed. So Yeah. yeah. But do you, do you uh, jot down those thoughts at all? Um, I do. I, I used to force myself to do a thing where I would think as hard as I could and have visualisations right before I fell asleep. And then in the morning I'd wake up and I hope that one of the problems that I had in my life, like whether it's like a um, creative problem or a personal problem, would just be solved and I'd wake with kind of the solution. Mm. Um, and then obviously I would write that down, but um, hoping that the solution would be so good that I wouldn't need to write it down because um, it would just be like solved. Um, but then I realised that that was contributing to not being able to sleep so well. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I had a sleepless night last night because I'm working on this project and I just, I don't know, I can't quite get my head, I, I haven't quite worked out what I'm doing for it yet and the deadline's looming. And I woke, had all, I don't know, I'm, I was all worried last night and I lost a few hours sleep. But now I woke up in the morning and it's like, oh, that's not even a problem. I don't know why I lost sleep over it. It's weird how... Okay. Your brain works in, in a different mode. I think it's your subconscious mind in, in, in so the So do you think that something happened, like, that you may not have recalled, but inside you, something was, it like, erased? No, it's more um, more like having a, uh, having a deadline to produce, um, you know, some artwork, yep. but I don't know what that artwork looks like at the moment, and the deadline's looming. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I need to, I need to get this done. You know, I, I find on Monday mornings, sometimes on Mondays I have a fair bit of anxiety because I mm-hmm. look at my list of things to do for the week. But I realize I've got five days to get those done, but I'm trying to get everything done on a Monday and I end up having a real, bit of a stressful day where I need to sort of sit back and go, hang on, let's like break this up over the week. But it's the same with the project I'm in at the moment. You know, I've got till the end of next week to get it done and I'll be able to get it done. But at the moment, I can't see what that looks like and that's bringing up a bit of anxiety in me. And, you know. Yeah, I think art projects are, um, they're very difficult to have um, medium term goals um, where you know exactly the time that it'll take because each thing you do you want it to be better than the last thing you've done and so even if you relatively know the style and you know say like the format the medium and stuff you're still making little creative decisions in every like line in every like shade that you pick and stuff and um, sometimes you'll make errors and it's like um, or you'll not be satisfied with the idea you want to just improve it that 1% but improving that 1% can like take 10 new experiments that are all terrible and they all have to go in the bin and then it's like well um, I spent all that time basically for nothing and then you almost have to um, compromise with doing something that's not even as good as what you had done before Mm. and so like you don't know when you're going to lose time and sometimes like you can think you have a huge project and then it takes like literally two hours and it's like well you know you have this kind of like genius moment and then sometimes you just feel like such a hack because it's like you spent a week doing something that you did you know, in 20 minutes last week, and it's like, how did I, how did I lose what I had? Yeah. 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 Have you heard that uh, analogy about every creative project is shaped like the letter U? Um, because in the middle, it's you feel really low. Or? Exactly. Well, you start off at the top, all excited about it, like yeah, okay. I've got this project, you know, and you think you know it's going to be amazing, and you get into it. As you get into it you end up uh, stressing about it and thinking this is, you know, I'm a fraud, this isn't working, you know, all these sort of things, what am I doing? And then you have to climb out of that, the bottom of that U and you start going up the other side and everything all comes together in the end and you get to the top of the U at the other side and, and everything's fine, it's all submitted and wrapped up. I think, I'm, <laughs> I, think I need to graduate into the U um, stage, I think I might not be there yet. I'm yeah. a... I think I'm a lightning bolt at the moment because it's like I'll start feeling like basically really high and everything's soaring and then I'll plummet and then I'll go up a little bit and I'm a really bad finisher and I just, I get quite bored of my own ideas and I want to do the new thing because that's when I'm feeling the high again Mm -hmm. and when it comes to like, um, it's really putting the finish on paintings or like packing them like doing shipping and stuff like that, um, you know, or like writing the price lists and stuff. It's, um, oh, I just, it's a real burden. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, um, everyone wishes that they had an assistant for all those menial tasks. Cause it's like when you're just, um, you know, a low, a low rung artist as I am, um, yeah, you still have to do a lot of those things and they're not really that creative. Yeah. 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 That's life, isn't it? It's, uh, for now, for now. Yeah. For yeah. now. Yeah, um, I know. I've been getting someone in to help me. It's yeah, been, yeah. I, one, oh God. Only one day a fortnight. Yeah, but oh, it's been a game changer. Um, yeah, pass me the details, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think. I th- don't think you'll be able to commute to New York. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I don't know a lot about you. Um, you know, I've been watching you online for a while, and I, I went to your exhibition the other night, and. Um, you know, but like, can you tell me how you like got into art and, and how it all started for you? 
Yeah, um, so my dad's a musician, and when I was a kid, he would always be doing drawing and stuff with me. Um, I remember once, um, so I used to play a lot of piano as a kid, and he was um, my teacher, but once we were just sitting on the ground, and he had one of those manila folders, and he was like, um, oh, I'm just going to draw something for you, and he drew out every instrument in the orchestra, um, and they were kind of like anatomical quality drawings. They were pretty fucking awesome. Um, and he was like, okay, well, this is this looks cool. Like, And even though I probably didn't even know what all the instruments were, like he rendered like all the tubes on like, um, say like a French horn. It looked real and it looked, it looked pretty hot. Um, so I think I've always appreciated um, technique in say drawing or in art. Um, and then I remember a bit later, maybe I was like eight. Um, also, my dad, he was like, "We should have this. Um, we should have a competition in who can draw the best underwater scene." Um, and so I had like my textures, and I think when you're a kid, you're a bit into like cartoons and like you know bold colors. And he was like, "This is the due date at like 3 p.m. on this Wednesday or something." And I went and you know spent, I don't know, probably didn't spend that much time on it, but maybe you know a couple of hours over those weeks. Um, and I did like an eel and like some seaweed and like whatever. Um, and I showed him my piece and I think I had it in a bit early at like 2.30 and he hadn't done his yet. And he was like, okay, now I'm going to do mine. And he did his and he like banged it out with like, um, you know, obviously a lot more mature colors, like a lot more like, um, a lot more movement in the water, like fishes that, you know, looks like fish. Um, and then he was like, um, who do you think, um, who do you, who's, do you think is better? And I was like, yours. And he was like, yeah, it is mine. Um, and then he like adjudicated that he had won the competition. Um, and he's like not a very narcissistic person or like that um, egotistical. And I think he was kind of right. And I think if I had done the better one, he would have um, told me that I had, but I simply hadn't. Um, and yeah, that was kind of, that's kind of how he parented. Mm. So um, yeah, maybe like, like I really remember that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that is the sort of thing that inspires a person to want to draw more or draw better or paint better. Um, but yeah, so painting and drawing have always been in my life. Yeah. And you went quite far in music, didn't you? Um, yeah, I, um, I did, um, so I stopped doing A and B grades when I was eight because I did grade eight and, um, I got a good result and then I thought that the grades were, um, a bit ridiculous. Um, and then I had some different teachers who were at Melbourne University and um, there were some kind of prestigious competitions in Australia where you can um, end up playing with um, a symphony orchestra and so I had the good luck to um, record um, as a solo pianist with Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and Western Australian Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. Cool. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Yes, it's been... Thank you. Yeah. Is that still a, um, a big part of your life? Uh, it isn't really. I'll say, um, to be honest, I probably stopped playing piano when I started drinking um, because I think when you start drinking, you have different interests. And I really, really liked electronic music um, because to me, the genre of music didn't really matter. It was like, if you're feeling something good, if it's going into your ears and making you feel emotional, then that's um, a good thing. And I was getting a lot of that out of things that weren't classical music. And I didn't really like the people in classical music because they were, um, as is the cliche, quite stuffy. Um, and 
also thought that a lot of people who were doing it didn't really understand the music that well. It's like you get all these commentators and all these participants who um, see it more as something to elevate their status. Um, like this high culture has this kind of prestige to it. And it's like, um, actually, that's not what music should be about. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and the concert hall, I think, um, doubles down on that kind of elite sense where everyone has to... Um, they would say it's being refined, but I think it's just... Um, stuffiness and bit of a bit of a jerk off really um and um yeah it has absolutely nothing to do with the swooning emotions of a lot of the music and i found that it, um the environment at least in australia was um it was kind of a block to understanding the music better um so i kind of um pretty firmly rejected that kind of world and um yeah and then went on my <coughs> pretty ambivalent journey um, into finding what else I could do after that. Yeah, and what was that? Um, I went to uni, um, yeah, um, my late teens were a lot about rejection, um, and I rejected the idea of doing medicine, um, which my mother, um, who's a doctor, wanted me to do. Um, uh, I rejected it by deliberately failing chemistry, um, which was like a prerequisite, so um, there wasn't much you could do about that. Um, and then she wanted me to do law, and I didn't want to do that, um, so I did architecture for a year. Um, and I kind of hated it because I couldn't really use my fingers to make 3D things, and you have to do like wood construction, timber framing stuff. And the model, I still have the model, because um, it's really funny to look at, because it's just such a piece of shit um, and um, so I realised well I don't want to be an architect and um, I was very grandiose as well um, and I had these dreams of have you ever been to Colette in Paris? No. So it's like this kind of um, concept store where they have high-end streetwear, um, an art gallery, like fragrances, like well, basically you know a ton of cool shit um, and they closed down a couple of years ago um, but I wanted to build a Colette um, except everything in it I had made. So I had made the magazines, I had made the art, I had made the music, um, and I also wanted to design the building. So that's why I was like, well, you need an architecture degree to design the building. Um, but as I went through architecture, I realised not only am I way too grandiose in my plans, um, you actually don't need an architecture degree to do a, you know, a, sh a retail fit-out. Yeah. Um, and maybe you should have a look at yourself and not be thinking about these plans and just be a bit more, um, try to gain some skills. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then eventually I was doing writing and I do really love writing um, in many forms um, and there was a, um, I had some mates who were starting a um, kind of a fashion magazine that um, only had two issues, no three issues out, um, but it was pretty good and it got stocked in some pretty nice places. It was called Helmet um, and I got to um, do a bit of design and um, kind of write some interviews and do some interviews with musicians that I admired like um, you know, at the time I was into French House, so like interviewing Justice, um, it was pretty cool. Um, and then eventually did some um, restaurant critic work um, through the Good Food Guide, um, which was also, um, you know, it's kind of a dream job for a lot of people, so that's pretty sick. Um, and then eventually I was like, oh, well, I want to study fiction writing um, properly. Um, and yeah, there was a good course at Columbia University in New York, and um, I got in and then I went over there in 2013. Cool. Yeah. Just going back a bit, so with with the uh, food critic work, yep. the good food guide, was that hard to be a critic? Like, becoming from a background as a writer, not as a foodie, if you know what I mean? 
because everyone likes food. Well, most mm. people. But, um, mm. you know, so I'm, I'm just thinking, like, if, if you come from a writing background, mm. how, how does your um, criticism towards uh, people's food stand up? I think that if there's a difficulty, it's um, that it can be challenging for most people to separate um, an objective criterion with the subjective one. So, like, you're right, everyone loves food, and, for instance, if you ask most people if their mum's a good chef or a good cook, they'll say, um, yes, they are. Um, but it's because they have a lot of, for instance, emotional or kind of contextual ties to it. And I think for me, um, I don't find it that hard to say, okay, I'm ha- I might be having a good time right now, or maybe even I'm not having a good right- time right now, but objectively, what's going on in this room? Is the service style meeting, you know, metric A, B and C? Is the plating um, relevant to the time that we're in? Is Are the ingredients fresh? Mm. And I think um, being a bit more... Calc- I think maybe having played the piano is a bit like that because pianists are kind of technicians Mm -hmm. and so you do have to say like well um i'm practicing this passage because i'm making five wrong notes and i want to get it down to four wrong notes and it's like well if something's um over seasoned relative to what you know to be the standards of seasoning like personally i love really salty food um it's not unusual for me to eat an entire tin of anchovies um straight like and Mm -hmm. that's I don't recommend that it's incredibly unhealthy and way too salty um but i also know at a restaurant you know that um, you know, n- near kind of lethal level of um, seasoning is not it's not the standard nor should it be mm. um, and the restaurant is owes its clients to be consistent and consistent to um, kind of the norms of the time but also their sense of what progress is and innovation is within that time so when you went to New York that was um, to study writing yep. was it? Um, were you uh, painting at the same time? I was, so just before I left, um, I got there in, I think, August, and I had a solo show in the June right before I left, um, and I was thinking, like, I do want to do something in art, and I'd been able to sell a few paintings prior, so I was like, okay, maybe there's some interest out there for me, um, but I don't know exactly what I want to do. I'd um, been doing a few oil paintings, and they were kind of large, um, maybe, like, um, over a metre on over a metre squared Um, and they were quite colourful and figurative and of like um, a lot of different faces put together Um, but then I was also wanting to do stuff that was way more um, maybe postmodern or transgressive Um, and I was making these um, close-up photos of skin Um, I'd made this um, I'd found a way of and I hope this doesn't disgust anyone um, of cultivating my own dandruff um, because I used to get dandruff as a kid um, and still do sometimes um, and I just don't find it that disgusting and I think my disgust threshold is really different to most people's um, I think that when you look close up to a lot of these like you're touching people's skin fairly frequently or at least your own um, and it's like why is it when that it's removed from um, and, and obviously there are good reasons you know it's, it's unhygienic it's you know like a cultural thing from you know way, way, way back, and, mm. and I'm not suggesting that everyone go out there and play with dandruff all the time. Um, but I also just didn't find it that bad a subject to look at, and I did these, um, had these macro lens photos um, 
a shot of them of these enormous bits of dandruff and um, I found them really beautiful um, and they looked like coral um, and um, I had this you know this install with all these variations of photos of dandruff and other bits of skin like calluses and stuff um, earwax um, and I thought it was stunning and people weren't even like oh that's gross they just didn't really say anything um, and I think it was their indifference to it that made me be like hmm okay well this isn't really hitting the notes I, I, I would have been maybe more happy if they had been disgusted but people were just like it was this kind of awkward science like everyone had a good time at the show and I sold some paintings um, but yeah like no one really could understand these things and, I th and you know some people these days I'll mention it and they're like oh you know it's for shock value and it really wasn't um, it was because I thought that these forms were interesting and worth, like there's, you know, like when you look at a huge bit of close-up kind of skin debris, there's a lot of ideas there, I think, um, but people weren't really into it. And so I was like, okay, well, I'd better um, put that to the side for a moment and maybe maybe the people are a bit right and I should, you know, the paintings are still having interest and I like doing them and I like colour a lot and I like faces and it was like... Then I started moving from doing like a big composition of many, many faces to less faces, down to one face, and then down to like cropping the face, and then down to shifting the face right at the middle. And like if you go across the last six years of me doing paintings, um, yeah, really this like literally where the face is has gotten right into the centre. And I think in the last show, um, that that's kind of the end of the line for that. I think I'm going to turn um, my art practice into it'll still be figurative and paintings and with colour and stuff but um yeah the faces aren't going to be in the middle anymore yeah 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 it's um it's interesting with your paintings they're they you, you paint a lot more traditional to a lot of the artists who i have featured on the um on the podcast mm -hmm. so where, where were you looking for inspiration um my two favorite artists are probably picasso and bacon francis bacon um maybe the traditional ish because I wanted maybe I was a bit insecure about can I paint or not can I do um can I do a figure can I do a face that looks like a face that looks like the person that I'm trying to paint and until really this last show I, I wasn't confident in being able to say I can do a portrait of you but I think now if someone said hey can you do a portrait of me I could do that and I could have them be satisfied with that it looks like a rendition of them because um, I think that sometimes in contemporary art what I don't like is the feeling of you go in and maybe it's a bit of a juvenile question, but it's like, could they really draw? Do they have an option here? Was this a choice that they wanted to draw in this style or was it the only thing that they could do? Mm. Um, and I feel insecure that people will ask that and I want the answer to be, I can actually do it the other way. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting because I come from the uh, opposite end because I do figurative paintings, yep. but I can't. If I sat here and tried to draw, draw a picture of you, I, I'd struggle to find your likeliness. Yep. You know, it's um. I've got the moustache though. Yeah. Because <laughs> you do some, all of it, and you, you do the sunnies and the moustache. Yeah, and you got cool plaits in your beard and all that. But um, I know I could I could get them, but as far as your facial features, I'll probably screw it up. Uh -huh. And uh, I don't know, but I haven't let that hold me back from painting. Like I, I just don't like um, I base uh, drawings and paintings on photos of people. Mm -hmm. quite often and then uh, but they don't end up looking like them I sort of I just do them in my own style and just look it's more like the angle of the face or where they're looking or something like that yeah um, 
Um, I said this to you before off off microphone, but I, you you are very confident, and you have um, your sense of palate is. I think you've already defined it for yourself um, in a way where some of those elements. I think you've inherited from doing graffiti and doing street art, um, and they give you the foundations to be able to do a figure confidently in a style that is only yours. Um, like. And I hope this isn't saying something bad, but um, I can tell when a face is done by you. And with my paintings, even in this show with 20 paintings, they're all kind of different. And I can't tell which one is more mine. Mm. And, like, obviously they are all got my name on it. But it's like, I don't really choose the style sometimes. And I can't really control... Um, some of them are quite abstract. Some of them are, like, with certain colour schemes. Like, I haven't really set um, that. And in some ways it's good, but in some ways it's like... Um, I have no. I can't predict like the painting that I'm going to do, and it's a bit unnerving because it's like I do want to have a style, and I do want to say um, within this style, these are the meanings that I'm trying to get across. But um, when you know the start of a painting happens, and maybe I'm often in a rush, but it's like um, yeah, just like whatever, <laughs> it just happens, and mm. sometimes it's not what I expect. But you know, I just have to have. I just have to deal with that. Mm. Yeah. Well. I- I feel personally that um, you don't really choose your style. Okay. If you know what I mean, it's like choosing how you walk. You don't. But, I, but body you do. Language. But you do choose your body language and stuff. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I because I feel a lot of the paintings. I I, st- I have ideas for paintings, but as far as style and how they are, how they come out, the painting just comes out of you, and that's how it is. And I feel that that happens with style as well. But maybe this is because you're a naturally very stylish person, Tom. Oh. Um, but no, seriously, I mean, when you go, like... Um, I'm going to be just totally candid, right? Um, doing graffiti has kudos among certain cultures, and at least to me it has a lot of kudos. And everything that you learnt from when you were jumping fences, running away from people um, being tough in a certain way, gives you a kind of chiselled vibe and kind of a slinkiness and um, a way that you hold yourself, a way that you hold your face, that's, um, it's you. And through, through all those experiences, I think you, have, you, you gain that. And even though you didn't consciously try to get that, it's because of your experiences, right? But if you have experiences that aren't conducive to certain, like, positive styles, for instance, like I grew up um, sitting by the piano a lot of the time. Mm. And sitting by the piano can be awesome, right? And I'm not saying all people who play the piano are lame. That's not true. But maybe some of them are lame. And maybe maybe some of them don't have a certain type of way that they walk. That me and you might, at least between us, agree is maybe cooler, right? Mm. And so it's like, well, I do think about those things, you know? And I do, th- like... I didn't leave. I didn't leave my facial hair growing for seven years just by accident. Um, and it's not like every day I like woke up and was like, "Am I going to shave or am I not going to shave?" But it's like I know that people look at me differently because I've got slightly unusual hair than when they don't. I remember the last time I had a significant haircut. I went to a restaurant, and um, people treated me quite differently. They were like, "Oh, that guy's just kind of like," or maybe I was insecure, but I think it was real. I think they looked at me and they're like, "He's just a generic Asian guy," and therefore treated me accordingly and I um, did have to think about things like that mm. yeah yeah but on the flip side of that though 
you know, you speak very eloquently and uh, you. you got a good vocab, all that sort of stuff. You come from this this background that seems like it's a world separated from the world I came from. So uh-huh. you, so you're sort of looking at at this graffiti background and that, and saying, oh, uh, you know, maybe I I wish I had a bit more of that in in my uh, upbringing or whatever. Yeah. But then I'm looking at where you're from, going, man, you, you know, you could you can have these like uh, in depth conversations with like I don't know people who are a, I don't know a bit more well educated than I am, and you know, because a lot of my education is is self taught, and uh-huh. I didn't finish high school or anything like that, and. And you know, some in some in some situations, I feel a bit dumb because I don't have the vocab, you know. But so but maybe I don't that. I maybe don't really it's like um, it maybe some things I was spoon fed, or maybe mm. even maybe even did myself mm. that came naturally. Like for instance, to be academic was never um, it's kind of in my instincts. Yeah. And I never like when you're saying having style or the way that you walk was kind of not your own doing. Mm. Me being academic wasn't really my own doing. Like, mm. I went to a good school, the teachers were good, and it just was kind of natural. Mm. Um, so maybe in that sense, we both... The thing that was in our environment made us who we were, and some of those things that we didn't have, we had to compensate for because we thought that they were valuable growing up. Mm. Yeah. So between um, you know, music, writing, and painting, do you find links between the three different creative outlets? I do, and the links aren't always, um, they're not necessarily helpful. Um, there are kind of just like um, perceptual links, like say certain colours to me have relationships to certain um, musical sounds, or like certain emotions will come from certain like palettes and certain like types of music or certain like chords even. Um, but then sometimes I have to turn certain things off. Like this year, I said to myself, I'm going to stop listening to music as much as possible because music was making me feel way too emotionally charged up. Um, I like disco and house music a lot and some rap music that's quite sentimental. And I would get up and I'd kind of throw this song on and i listen to it on repeat and I'd be like, okay, I kind of rev myself up and into kind of basically a kind of, like I'm at a party almost in my own head and it's only 9am and then I get in there and I tried to do a painting and 50% of the time the painting would be awesome I'd feel like on top of the world um but then even that's like by 3pm it's like okay well this is just another day I'm not going to do another painting and okay like okay what do I do now and sometimes you'd have a have this peak at the start of the day and then you'd um fuck up the painting basically because you were too charged up and sometimes it would just mean putting too much paint on the brush Mm. um and you make a mess and you make this you know, sloppy mess on the canvas and you're like, oh my god, and you come crashing down and you really start to feel pretty bad and you start to feel like um, just a hack mm. and it's like um, yeah, like I realised that listening to um, especially trance music I'd feel just like pumping trance music and then the breakdowns would be like so sentimental and so emotional and it's like, I don't, I can't have that actually, you have to be a bit more mechanical and all these feelings that I'm having and I'd be thinking about my old friends and all the times that we had and like, you know, like all this like super emotional stuff and um, kind of was um, wasted energy a bit. Um, and it's like, you know, I, I, I get to go out pretty often and I speak to my close friends pretty often as well. Um, so I was like, yeah, maybe just save it for those moments when you're on the phone or whatever and you don't have to be like just indulging this like 
nostalgic roller coaster like every day because mm. um, it's too intense. Yeah, I save um, I save it for Fridays. <laughs> I, I I have hip hop Friday in the studio. Nice. And just blast hip hop music all, all day and um, nice. And I love it. And I, what I do is I clear my schedule. I have no plans. Oh, I, I, I have no expectations on what happens on a fr- every awesome. Friday. And I, I use the day to celebrate another week as living my dream as being an artist. And, um, Hip-Hop Fridays. You know, Hip-Hop Fridays, man, I love it. And and, pe- and everyone comes down to my area and sits down and has, you know, beers come out in the afternoon. Mm. I don't know, It's but I find that those days, sometimes I'm so productive. Other days I don't get anything done, and that's fine because I didn't try to do anything. But some days, <coughs> paintings come out of me that I didn't even know existed within me. It's like, wow, where's this coming from? And it's all from just letting go and and just turning the day more into a celebration than a, uh, a, a list of tasks or have-tos, you know? Yeah, I think I had the balance pretty wrong. And, um, you know, again, <laughs> you are, you're, you're mature. Um, I had basically hip-hop Fridays Monday through to Sunday, and... That's the wrong balance. I think yeah, it's a good thing to have as a reward. Yeah. And I didn't really like. It, really, it only took me until about last year to realise that some things in life are just sometimes things. Mm. And you know, like for instance, drinking. Like, it's not an everyday, every hour thing. Mm. Apparently. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. I used to not. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah. I was shocking when I first um, became a full-time artist with with cracking beers. Like. Yeah. I'd be like. Oh, a good, you know, an email came through. Oh, crack a beer. Oh, sold a painting. Oh, crack a beer. And it was like any excuse mm, and it turned mm, into an every day was a, mm, a beer day. Mm. And now it's like, man, I, 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 I would give myself permission to have one, maybe two beers on a Thursday afternoon. And then Friday afternoon, I can drink drink beers. Yeah. But the rest of the week, I, I'm off it. And it's, oh, man, at first it was really hard because I got I created a really bad habit. Yes, and it's like if you think about it, if you're in a normal job like a nine to five, you can't just sit there, at, you know, no. one thirty on a Tuesday afternoon and crack a beer. <laughs> Not until you're fifty-five. <laughs> Not until you own the business. Yeah. yeah. So I've been in New York a few times. Um, I've never really, you know, entered the art scene over there. But um, but being an artist living in New York, like how how are you going um, navigating the art world over there? Because it is one of the um, the art hubs of the world. It's um. It's hard to get out of a mindset where you're looking at artists and artwork and every time you look at something you think, this is either out of my reach, it's so much better and at a tier much higher than I can access, or it's something that's way beneath me and, you know, you know what is this crap? Like, it's amateurish, like, it's just student stuff, it's pretentious. Um, and I think that might be a symptom of my own inability to look at things clearly like maybe what you said about um are you able to adjudicate food well um maybe because i had no stakes in being a chef like i'm you know i'm i don't work as a food maker i think working as an art maker i'm not able to see things super clearly because more um more's at stake you know and i'll walk into the gagosian and be like well this is cool and you know, you know, one day, um, but definitely not now. Or I'll walk into like some student thing and be like, "These guys are all hacks," and they're probably not hacks. And maybe the Gagosian is kind of inflated and ridiculous too. Um, but I do find it very difficult to um, find peers because sometimes I can be very competitive, and um, 
also very critical, um, maybe because I've also been trained to be critical. Um, and then it's like, you know, to find those peers, it's been difficult. Um, and I, I'll say, like, just talking to you and being here is very, very helpful, and I haven't really had too many of these experiences. Um, and I didn't go to art school either, so it's like, um, yeah, you know, if there's anyone out there, um, yeah, I, I want to find peers who are on the same page. But also I think in New York at the moment, a lot of young artists, um, they're all drinking from the same Kool-Aid. And um, there are some themes that come across their works that are really repetitive to me. Um, um, their take on politics is sometimes very homogenous. Um, and even though sometimes the ideas are interesting and even innovative, um, when everyone's doing the same thing, it's a little bit boring. Um, and then you go to the like really high-end galleries, and I sometimes can't comprehend why these things uh, have the clout that they have and why they're selling for the prices that they're selling. And um, sometimes, like a lot of it is, like I'll go into a gallery and everything will be like fluoro and abstract, and it's like, why why are these ideas innovative? And I just don't understand, you know. Um, so, yeah, I find it quite incomprehensible sometimes, the, the New York art scene. Um, but on the streets, there's so much stimulation, and I think that's when New York is awesome. When you walk around, like I live um, around the East Village, and it is it is vibrant, you know, and you see all these different characters, and you're really in among a very um, colourful and interesting um, mix of different lifestyles and personalities, and I think that's very stimulating for artists. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So from the uh, the hustle and bustle of uh, of Manhattan, you uh, you've just done a uh, residency in Queenstown, the QBank Art QBank Art Residency. Like, how'd you find that? Was that good? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah, I was with um, two people um, each for two weeks. Um, bloke called Johnny Skulls, and then another guy called Niels Ogen, um, and they are both artists from who live in Hobart now, and um, talking to them and living with them and um, sharing the time with them was really great. I'm naturally um, very inclined to make friends and, yeah, honestly, just making two friends very quickly um, was really, really awesome. And if I could spend my whole life just making friends with people, like, that's really my ultimate job. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if that job exists yet. Yeah. Um, it was also good just to do art because I do have like I try to do writing and sometimes I have just like fantasies of all sorts of um, ridiculous projects in my head that I will you know still spend half an hour jotting down some notes for and but that you know when I got here because um, I brought these um, I got some discount canvases um, and I was like okay I'm going to do 25 works over this month and kind of just bang them out um and really just think about painting for this month. Um, and I did. And, um, yeah, it was quite freeing to just think about one thing. And, that you know, the internet connection down there is um, a little bit temperamental and, you know, not being on Facebook, not being um, as connected to the rest of the world was very... Um, it was a good constraint to making paintings. Mm. Yeah. And Queenstown itself is, um, you know, if anyone can get down there, um, get down there. It's a, it's a good place. Um, everyone's super friendly. Um, I had heard um, rumours about a kind of um, maybe wiriness to people's personalities, um, and if they were wiry, it was only in a good way. Um, yeah, it's it's good fun, and people down there all know each other and they're um, friendly. And you know, if you're there for a couple of days, you probably make a few friends. 
Yeah. And it's good you don't have to go far to get out in nature either. It's like you walk, you can be in the centre of town, walk two blocks and you're in, in the woods. Yeah, um, we, we literally walked two blocks up some hill and there was um, there were these lambs and they were just these wild lambs kind of like um, when they like jump around they have this like really I mean anyone who you know, like everyone's probably seen lambs on the internet and they are cute and it's like the first time we saw them the sun was like I think it just been raining and it rains a lot there and the sun came out and like hit their fur and like made these like kind of golden linings on their fur on these lambs furs and it was um, it really was special yeah cool did you get uh, some new subject matter come through your artwork or um, techniques or anything like that while you were there? Yeah, I mean, I did really want to do this show um, thinking as much as I could about the place without um, without forcing myself to, like, kind of um, necessarily do it about the place. Um, but then um, having been shown around the mines, um, thinking about, like, value, thinking about... Um, you know, all the colours and the mountainscapes and stuff. Yeah, I did end up putting um, as much of that as I could into my work and hopefully in a way that wasn't um, that wasn't superficial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I went to your, uh, your exhibition last week at Marfa Gallery and that was, like, to view the works that you did up in, uh, or down in Queenstown. And, man, it was a really good show. Congratulations. Thanks, Thank you. Yeah, um, people were having... People were having fun. Um, it's hard to know what the sweet spot for a show is because it's like... There are always so many boxes you want to tick mm. and I feel like whenever I do a show I never tick all the boxes like after it finishes because um, you want um, you want the works to be good obviously um, you want the sales to be robust just to speak frankly um, you want it to be well attended so just like the number of people um, that come through the number of discrete bodies I always use that term because it's like people can um, it's about how many bodies are in the room at any one time, not whether people, like, come back or something. Um, and, um, but you also want, like, you know, we're all, we are all superficial sometimes. You want, like, cool kids points. You know, you want to be, like, seen as hip. You want to get, like, the right type of attention. And, you know, sometimes the people who are buying aren't necessarily the people who are, like, the gatekeepers to the, to the culture mm. or, like, vice versa, you know? And it's, like... Um, yeah, you can never really get it all. Or, and you want to have a good time as well. Yeah. Like, I usually um, go into gallery, into my own openings, thinking, okay, now it's kind of over, I'll just let my hair down and, um, you know, have have a drink. Um, but this time I was like, no, I won't, I'll be sensible, I'll, um, you know, be friendly and um, social and maybe even treat this as kind of like a work function where I'm um, one of the managers. And um, in being a manager, um, you know, it was a bit more of a serious event. And it's like, you know, I don't have any crazy stories. And um, part of me craves that. <laughs> yeah, I like craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, that show sold really well. Like, when I walked in, there was a, a few red dots. But by the end of the... You know, I, was, I didn't even stay till the end, but it pretty much sold out the whole show on the opening night. Like, what was... Um, like, I know, because you were based in New York mm. and, like... Like, how did you go about, like, drumming up so many sales? I was... I'm just curious to find out. Um, I just get my mum to buy everything. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Actually, I've, I've prevented her from um, buying anything because it's, um... That's one of the most synthetic ways to... It's a terrible way to go about selling out. Um, yeah. I... Never sell it for the right price, either. Right. To family. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to learn that, too. Um, 
really the only thing that I did this time that was different was I learnt how to use InDesign Mm-hmm. And because um, I had to lay out this um, book a couple of months ago, and when you lay out a whole book that's going to get printed, it's quite a lot of pressure to learn how to like just do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, then doing a catalogue isn't that difficult. Um, and while an exhibition setting is, you know, a good place to see a painting, um, when it's against plenty of, you know, white backlit negative space on a nice. Um, document with some nicely chosen fonts and you know you get the bio and people can view it in their own homes um, yeah I think having that catalogue having a pre-sale catalogue is um, yeah I would recommend people do it for themselves because it doesn't take that long it takes like an hour and if you know how to use InDesign it, um, I think it's only 12 bucks a month to, to use Creative Cloud where you get like Photoshop and design all that stuff um, and it is worth it mm. yeah because it looks it looks nice, and I think people can just choose off the off the catalog sometimes. Yeah, and I've I've also found when you are doing a catalog for a show, it's a really good opportunity to properly properly document every piece in the show as well, because exactly. you think, oh, I'll just quickly take some snaps of of them, so I've got oh, photos, of, and you end up with like a, a phone photo of the piece, and it's only and you'll and then never, it's gone. Yeah. Never see the piece again. It's like great, I got this crappy photo. It's really difficult to take photos of paintings. Mm. You you must get this a lot because you you um, rely on flatness mm. in and planes, um, and it's like you've got to be in such good light conditions that are flat and also warm. Um, like in Queensland, it was a fucking nightmare because um, you had to wake up at. I think the best time is after the sun's risen, and then it's still a bit overcast, maybe like from nine till ten thirty. Mm. Um, but that's actually not a huge window if you want to wake up and like brush your teeth, and like maybe you want to take a photo of like three or four things, and you've got to be on the street or like in your garden in a place where the texture's right. There's no dew, there's no shadows, and you're standing in a place that isn't casting shadows. Mm. Um, and just even taking a photo that's um, perpendicular to your work can be a nightmare too to like to crop it exactly if you really care about the composition like right on those like edge pixels you know mm. um so yes i agree that it is good to have spent the time taking the photos yeah yeah one thing i i've been taught is to uh shoot in the shade mm-hmm. because it's um it's all flat color in the shade yeah and there's and you've got to try and get it where there's shade everywhere so there's no yep. glare from the, from a bright patch behind you or something like that yeah, and when you get like um, overexposed, when it's overexposed on like a bit of, um, especially on acrylic, you get that shine, and like mm. the, like you literally get little white bits, and it just looks like trash. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've been there. Yes, I've been there too. <laughs> Got a couple more exhibitions to uh, let you know about that are coming up in uh, in Melbourne. Uh, Callum Preston, who's a former guest of the pod, is uh, currently working on a, his new solo show, Everything Is Borrowed which opens on November 21st at KSR Art Bar in the Rialto. It's an exploration of the trinkets, keepsakes and heirlooms that invoke memories and tell a story. He's built himself a custom workshop in the middle of the gallery from recycled materials where he's creating works for the show. Uh, you can go visit him on the lead up to the show from 4pm till late. People can pop in and see what he's working on. Follow Callum on Instagram at Callum Preston to see what he's up to day to day for the show. Uh, the show runs from November 21st to December 7th, and it's presented by Converse and Bodrigi Brewing Company. Another up-and-coming art show in Melbourne is a four-day pop-up called Suburban Primitive by Steve Ledbeater, who's another former guest on the show. 
Uh, the opening night is on uh, the 29th of November from 6pm at Juddy Roller Gallery in Fitzroy. Uh, you can check out Steve's work on Instagram at Leadbeater. He's amazing. <laughs> check it out. All right, Mark, you ready for some rapid-fire questions? Hit me. All right. Uh, name one artist who you think deserves more shine. Francis Bacon, because he's not a household name, and he should be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of crazy that, like... Obviously, anyone who does painting knows who he is. Um, but... Yeah, like, you know, you can still talk to people who aren't that into painting, and they've heard of Picasso, but they haven't heard of Francis Bacon, so... Um, yeah, let's get him out there. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't know a lot about him a while ago, but I worked on that um, yeah that sale at Christie's where they sold oh, yeah. the most expensive painting ever sold. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a Francis Bacon. I, I worked on that sale. I, I designed the catalogue for it oh, and, well. and the book and everything. The, the triptych of Lucien Freud? Yeah. So, oh, um, yeah, I didn't know much about him, and everyone's making a big deal, and it's like I, I use that time as art education for me. So it's like, oh, who's this guy? And it's like... And then after the sale, I was like, shit, that's the most expensive painting ever sold. And so you were doing catalogues for, was this just um, um, during your time as a graphic designer? Yeah, yeah. I worked for them for about a year while I was living in London. And um, and that was uh, what I consider to be art school. Fucking hell, so you know what to, I'm wasting your time talking about catalogues. You know what's up with catalogues. Oh yeah, I've laid out some ca some good catalogues. Shit, okay. See nice. all these books here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've designed all them behind me. And, uh, okay, I'm going to go through them, learn yeah. something. Yeah, cool. nice. Yeah, I, but mind you, it was just it was a job. Like I could have been laying out um, anything, but I was very fortunate to be laying out, uh, you know, art catalogues, and that was my um, my education. I I had a big folder saved of images that I liked, and I'd research each artist, and wow. you know, and it, it helped help me develop my style because in that time I was making a transition from graffiti artist to artist, but I was still just a graffiti writer, just trying to work out what, what what art to do, really. Did you ever feel the urge to put something of your own in the Christie's catalogue? Oh, I would have loved to, but no, like I, I wouldn't I would have probably lost my job. So what's uh what's one medium you'd love to work with? <laughs> you you had a kind of nervous look in, in your eyes there. Um or maybe I'm I'm just saying that. Um I hope this doesn't sound bad, but um more of my own body parts and things that leave your body that people don't usually work with. I have something specific in my mind, and I think anyone who knows me will probably know what that is, um, but I'm probably not going to say it. All right. I guess we'll have to just keep an eye on your career. Keep an eye. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> I did. it's something that you can fry. Okay. And um, when I fried it, it looked, again, a lot like coral, and it's really beautiful, and I have this fried part of myself um, that's in my fridge my freezer in New York, and it's in a little matchbox, mm. and it's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's one skill you wish you had? Um, to be a bit more fit. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty slovenly. Um, yeah, I, I eat all of the bad things um, to to excess, and yeah, you know, when you're panting during times of um, you know you know times of passion, um, it's just a bit you know. Yeah, time to wake up. <laughs> well, it's uh, all out there for you, mate. Yeah, I know. No, I think I actually might see a. Um, I might do some training for the first time in my life yeah. next week. Yeah. Yeah. Wish me luck. But being being in New York, surely you're, you're walking everywhere and on the train. You know. You are walking a lot, but you're also you, you you're walking double and eating triple. 
okay. Um, yeah, and everyone's, like, there doing, like, Equinox and stuff, and you just... I would just feel like a tosser going into, like, one of those gyms. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, when I was there the other week, I, um, I thought I'd do myself a favour and eat a health, healthy meal, and I went to a mm. vegan restaurant. Mm. Man, I ate the most unhealthy shit <laughs> I've eaten in years, and it was at a vegan restaurant. It's like, yeah, just because it's got no, no meat or dairy in it, it doesn't yeah. mean it's healthy for you, you know. Whereas I think in their mind they thought that they were still healthy. Who knows what they're thinking? I know, I know. Um, who are some of your favourite artists, apart from Picasso and Bacon? Oh, shit. <laughs> um, there are other artists. Um, no, um, I really like Space Invader. Um, God, he puts up a lot of work. Mm. And I think there is something really delightful and um, it can open your eyes to seeing spaces differently because you kind of look... You're, you're looking for them if you go to the cities where there are a lot... If you go to Paris, um, this, you can... That could be your whole time there just looking for and looking at Space Invaders for, like, a month. Mm. And you could still, you know, see only, like, an eighth of them. Yeah. 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 Um, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh... Um, I've thought about this before and I kind of go two ways sometimes it's like on the one hand I wish I had been more humble and less arrogant and um, for instance not turn down opportunities that really were great that I thought I was too good for but then on the other hand I wish I'd been more rebellious you know like you always wish you were a bit more um, just told people to fuck off when you felt like it yeah yeah Um, do you have a dream project you'd love to work on? Yeah, I, I also thought about this a bit and um, oh, really anything in Paris, and I know that sounds... I'm pretty um, obsessed with Paris um, and it would just be pretty sweet to have French people who are responsible for a lot of cultural things that I like. Um, yeah, to return the favour. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, where are you wanting to take your art career? I think I'm almost ready to have um, a proper gallery, a commercial gallery represent me. Um, I do have a great manager and we have um, cobbled together a um, a good career so far. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't mind being attached to a gallery because then, um, yeah, from what I hear, galleries know, they know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. It's sort of like a um, benchmark in an artist's career as well. It's it like is. saying you've arrived, you've got gallery representation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to arrive. But yeah. in this day and age, there's that, the flip side of the coin. In this day and age, is gallery representation necessary because of, uh, we've all got social media and I don't know the art, art world's changing. Yeah, it is a benchmark and it's hard to know um, which benchmarks are the important ones because um, like at the foundation of it, it's like, am I making valuable art? And I think to some people, it's like the gallery system kind of like represents value. Um, and, you know, for all the complicated reasons of like they're in touch with like institutions, they're in touch with like clientels who in theory have like good taste or like know about art and like they can sell it at a price point or whatever and get it out there. And it's like, if you can do all those things yourself, then yeah, that would be good. But it's hard to know. Um, it's hard to like just guide yourself and know about all that really all that value you know mm. yeah. yeah um do you have any uh future plans or projects in the pipeline uh yeah i do i've got a um 
a solo show in January in Melbourne again um, at 45 Downstairs on Flinders Lane. Um, and that'll be all um, big works, um, paintings as well, um, all self-portraits. So um, something exciting for everyone. Um, and then in, um, in probably June, I'm going to do a show in Singapore. Um, there's this Michelin star restaurant called Nuri that um, hit me up because of an essay that I wrote um, that talked about how restaurants should use some of the deeper aesthetic principles that artists use um, within restaurants because at the moment a lot of fine dining restaurants are really all about just um, making people feel like they're higher status which is a pretty shoddy way of using aesthetics um, and hopefully we're going to um, collaboratively produce a body of work that um, challenges the normal experience of fine dining clients. Cool. Um, and where's the best place for people to find your art online? Instagram. Uh, my handle is Mark Bo Chu, um, M-A-R-K-B-O-C-H-U. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, thanks for taking the time to sit down and have a chat. It's been, uh, it's been great. Thanks, Tom. No worries. And also, um, before we leave, I've got a uh, $100 gift voucher for you from, uh, from our sponsor today, Ironlock. Oh, that's awesome. You can jump online and uh, buy yourself some stuff. Thank you very much. And thank you, Ironlock. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Bench Talk. To view images of the guest's artwork, follow us on Instagram at bench underscore talk or go to the website benchtalkpodcast.com. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud or Stitcher. If you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Uh, thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode.